filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues, including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Ben, you're looking a little uh, under the weather there, buddy. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, My working theory is that uh, the game on Sunday made me actually physically ill in addition to mentally anguished. So I've got a a little bit of a cold brewing in my nose right here. Well, I'm sure it'll sound great for all our listeners, especially when you sneeze into the mic. Yeah. That'll be the best part. Yeah. Maybe I'll sound less nasally than normal, or more. We'll see. I mean, I don't know about anybody else. I didn't, the only physical manifestation I, I I felt was sudden and extreme crying fits during the course of the day today, which was not very good at work. It was a little embarrassing. I'm not going to lie. I just, uh, I, I, and this is not, uh, unlike, unlike Adams, this is uh, based in reality. Uh, <laughs> I just, I couldn't sleep. I did not sleep well. Yeah, or, actually, I didn't either. Yeah. In real life, you know, not imaginary crying fits. Didn't sleep well, but actually woke up several times <laughs> having I had like, dreams about how bad the game was. I like the idea of us starting off the show with just a major, major bummer. It's a major bummer, man. And then getting into the show that is about entirely about a bummer as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's how it goes. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is probably the darkest timeline of filibuster. Uh, I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley, Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com. That's where you can find us writing about DC United, including your sad, sad, sad trip to Ohio this week. Uh, we will be talking about that trip um, and all the mirrored sadness it brought on us. We'll also be talking about the game we're playing on Wednesday as a result of that complete failure of a trip uh, against the New England Revolution. We're going to have our friend Jake Ness from the Bent Musket on in the second segment to, to help us out with that preview because otherwise it would, we'd go to a dark place and we wouldn't come back. And that, that just wouldn't be fun. I'm already like very low energy tonight. I'm like doing a Joe Bush impression or something. I'm just very monotone, very low energy. It's no good. We've got to do but, something to... But Jeb Bush's campaign signs have an exclamation point on them. He must be high energy. All right. Well, I think our version of an exclamation point... (laughs) Jeb! Our our version of the exclamation point is is this segment. What are you drinking in in honor of the extreme futility of last night? There's only one thing to do today. Uh, so, So, Jason, what are you taking a shot of? Uh, the last time we did shots out of misery, I I talked about how I did not have any trash uh, alcohol to do one with. Uh, that has changed. Uh, <laughs> at the last uh, at the New York City home game, uh, a friend of mine left a 
like a quarter, a quarter of a fifth of some sort of pinnacle Cinnabon vodka that I have never tried before uh, in my car. We carpooled, and I was left with that. He does not want it back, so it's just going to sit forever until I do something with it. And so hopefully for the first and last time I'm going to do this with it, I'm going to take a shot of warm Cinnabon vodka. <laughs> that is incredibly trash The show may I... end immediately after these shots. When you hear Jason vomit, you'll know. I vomit, just horrible. be like, no, I'm done. I quit. I'm out. Uh, I, I have a flask that has some, it smells like actually pretty nice whiskey in it. I have no recollection of what whiskey it is. I think I had a bottle that I needed to get, wanted to clear some space, and so I poured what was left of it into the other empty flask, and there's still some in it. So I'm going to be taking pulls from that tonight, including... Here is Ben. What are you taking a shot of? Um, what I had lying around was uh, Evan Williams, so I'm taking a shot of Evan Williams, not single barrel, just regular old black label Evan Williams. So, all right. Whether whether it's in protest or in mourning or what, we we decided before the show that we were going to take our shots together instead of one at a time. So, cheers to you, boys. Cheers. Let's, let's hope for better. Oh no. <laughs> oh no! It's like a chemically taste is the problem, which is kind of what I should have expected. It's cinnamon vodka from Cinnabon, right? It's it's not cinnamon infused vodka. It's like commercially made quote unquote cinnamon vodka. So it's a chemically taste that is bad. I believe that. So Jason, what are you what are you chasing it with? Uh, I have, um, because I wanted to feel good about something in the world, uh, I have uh, Covastier DSOP on the rocks. So I have something nice. Um, <laughs> Not really a chaser. No, I, I mean, no. But um, I wanted to have a drink that was good for our bummer of a show, so here we are. Yeah, I'm I'm just going to be taking pulls from that flask, which ain't, like I said, the whiskey that's in there, whatever it was. Uh, it, it ain't bad. I also have a, a beer, just a Red Hook IPA, Long Hammer IPA, to to chase it with if I if I need something a little lighter on my palate than whiskey. Ben, you you are feeling under the weather. That that wasn't just me making fun of your appearance. No, in the show. I, no, I actually am. So I'm actually going to be making at some point tonight some uh, sleepy time tea, like an old, the old that I am, the old that DC United has made me. Aging, so when, aging me, aging me fifty years in the course of ninety minutes. One, ten, one decade for every goal that they gave up. Oh God! <laughs> Just why, Ben? <laughs> Too soon. When when Ben falls asleep and you just we just hear deep breathing coming from from that end, we'll know that the sleepy time tea is kicked in, and Ben is in a better place. All right, let's let's get this over with. DC United. Must have thought the season had already ended uh, because they didn't bother showing up at Moffray Stadium in Columbus yesterday, uh, Sunday night. Uh, they got run off the field to the tune of five to nothing. Um, in this one, they, they did manage to get in the halftime down only one zero, but that was a flattering score. And honestly, the argument can be made that five nil was flattering to United, um, which is really difficult to do to play worse than five nil. Jason, can you think of a worse performance in recent memory in the last several years, which includes some pretty bad seasons? 
Yeah, there are a few that, that come to mind um, back in 2010 and 2013. Um, I think the reason that a lot of those games didn't end with a higher scoreline is because the other team didn't really sense that beating those sides was any sort of accomplishment. You know, you score your two goals on either of those sides, and you're like, well, this is done. They're not going to score twice, uh, and they weren't going to. Um, and so then you just sort of knocked the ball around and waited for the game to be over and to go home. Um, Columbus in this this game on uh, on Sunday really had a – they played with a real relish um, for the occasion, and they really attacked, uh, attacked the occasion with the right mindset. And once they saw that it wasn't just going to be 2-0, um, you know, Merrim scored – and United United made a sub, um, but there was no real pushback. There was no um, change in the way the game was going, other than now without a second defensive midfielder, it was just more space and the same level of play. Um, Columbus really sensed the moment and decided to really just go ahead and keep stomping on uh, United's dead body. Uh, it was... Um, if anyone's ever seen the movie Irreversible or Drive, you've seen a scene that ends this way where someone just keeps stopping and stopping, and then it goes on for longer than it should, uh, but it keeps going. Um, I, I, and was was also thinking of, I was also thinking of American History X. Yeah, uh, that one, that's a stomping, but that, that only happens, that's a one-stomp kind of deal. Yeah, yeah um, true, but it, the, the brutality was... Yes, it was uh, miserable and the worst. Um, yeah. It wasn't the worst, uh, but it, it felt like the worst. Right, yeah. yeah. It felt pretty bad. Ben, which is the real DC United? The, the, the team that got curb stomped last night? Or, or the team that bottled up Harry Ship and made the Chicago Fire look every bit of the wooden spoon holders that they now are? Well, I mean, obviously, it, and unsatisfyingly, it's somewhere in the middle. Um, but it's... It's been a while since DC United has beaten a playoff team, and that's disturbing. I mean, they're uh, since June, right? Uh, I'll look it up right now as I ramble, but that's probably yeah. true. I mean, yeah, their last two wins were against uh, obviously uh, New York City FC and Chicago Fire, neither of whom are making the playoffs. And here comes the results map, and let's find out. Unless Jason knows. Well, well, June twenty first was the last time DC beat uh, beat a team by playing well, um, yes. by playing a. Uh, a good, or I should say, playing a good, playing against a playoff team and playing well in that game. Yes, August right. 8th, the infamous, not actually a one shot, yeah, one goal right. game, was the last time they actually beat a playoff team. Yes, they, they beat Montreal in a, a farce of a game. Um, but the, the last time they played a game where you were like, that was a good team and United played well enough to win most of the time, was against the Revs, but it was in June. Well, they, they beat, they beat, no, never mind. That was Dallas. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Wah, wah. Yeah. So, Jason, in both the Chicago game and the Columbus game, United ceded the majority of possession. Uh, Columbus actually had 61%, despite being ahead for most of that game. Uh, obviously, very different results. Last week, we talked about how against Chicago, even without the possession edge, United still managed to be in control of the game basically the entire time. Obviously, that wasn't the case on Sunday in, in the debacle at Moffer Stadium. What What is the biggest difference between the one extreme and the other? Uh, there's Game states are definitely involved. United was on the front foot uh, against Chicago for a, a good 25 minutes, give or take a few minutes. And then 
Um, Chicago pushed back, and the possession was probably, you know, very close to even. United got their goal, and Chicago didn't really know what to do. They knew they needed to keep the ball, but they didn't really know what to do from there, and United just punished them with um, counters. And, um, you know, when they got the ball, they made it count in that game. Um, The crew hoarded possession from the start. Um, It was an interesting thing to watch because it seemed like both teams wanted to sit deep um, in the in the opening stages, I think the crew wanted to draw United forward, um, draw them out of their shape. Um, when that, I guess that never really had to happen though, because what they figured out was United was sitting so deep and so unwilling to come out and and you know play that you know play the game that Columbus thought they were going to get, where they draw them out a little bit. Um, so Columbus is like, well, if they're not going to come out at all, we might as well push everyone up, and so. Harrison Offal and Waylon Francis essentially played midfield rather than as fullbacks. Um, Mohamed Saeed was pushing up almost, uh, it was already weird to see him playing as a 10 and he was pushing up almost as a second forward because there, the space was there to do it. Um, and United was just going to stand off and stand off and stand off. And um, the crew have seen plenty of teams sit deep against them. So they've gotten used to figuring out what to do in that situation. And uh, when you throw in, the level of performance, especially after halftime. Um, this is what you get when, when the other team is playing that much better than you and they have the ball, you've got a big problem. Um, you, you can't seed possession and also be disorganized and lacking in focus and communication and having players lose their, lose their, lose their way within your team shape. You've got to stay organized um, for that strategy to work, and it just it did not happen. Um, and it was really an all-over-the-field problem. Yeah, it, the defense, the mid, yeah, it really was an all-over-the-field problem. I can't think of anyone other than Hamid in a couple of moments who actually had a good game. Hamid, anytime you're a goalkeeper and you give up five goals, no matter how little you could have done about it, you're not going to feel like you had a good game. I would say that, that Kitchen was, given what was going on all, on all sides, uh, was doing a decent job of not letting it be entirely him uh, as well. Um, it was just everything was falling apart around him, and he was keeping, you know, it, imagine a house collapsing and someone keeping, like, one painting uh, from being destroyed. Um, it was sort of like that where it's like, well, you, you know. He was Dolly tried. Madison. Yeah, except, you know, the the result wasn't like, I mean, this doesn't feel like the country bounces back, whereas Dolly Madison, uh, you know, the, the War of 1812 didn't end everything for us. If the only thing that comes out of this game is the mental image of Perry Kitchen dressed as Dolly Madison carrying paintings out of the White House, I, I think I found a silver lining that I can live with from this game because the idea of, of Perry Kitchen wig cracks me up. I'm not going to lie. The fullbacks were off in this game. They looked hungover. The center backs looked out of sorts. I don't know what Boswell was doing on the first goal. To continue our to continue our War of 1812 metaphor, they were running around with torches bumping into various parts of the White House and setting it on fire. Yeah. They were doing the <laughs> British job for them. Um, so so Ben, other than showing up and you know, actually caring to to do anything this episode more family friendly than last week, uh what needs to happen for United to still be alive come the weekend? What does specifically, not not anything to do with New England, but what specifically does D.C. United have to do to actually have a chance? 
Well, I think they're going to have to fit Steve Birnbaum in there somewhere. Uh, He played, I mean, you can't really analyze how he played after he came on. The game was done, done and buried by then, but we were shifting to a three man backline that we never ever play. Right. But I mean, when your defense plays that badly, you have to change something and he's the only change to make. There's, you're, I mean, you're obvi- you're not going to see Luke Mishu play. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to see Jalen Robinson play. That's not going to happen. And so Birnbaum is your only actual logical uh, person to come in. Uh, the only question to ask is whether he plays center back or whether he plays fullback. Uh, I I think Kofi Apare is going to sit, and they're just going to slot Birnbaum in at uh, center back next to Boswell. But it, it the way they the way they all played it. It could be either of those things. I mean, Kemp had an abominable game, but I don't think you see Burn Moment left back. I don't see. I don't really see that happening. But. Right. Yeah, this was this was one of those games where it felt like the midfield shape needed to change. Maybe Perry Kitchen drops deeper and has a midfield partner that that steps forward a little more. But the far end, for whatever reason, wasn't in the game day eighteen. Yeah, against Columbus. Um, we don't know why. We don't know if it was an undisclosed injury or a coach's decision or if he's had a falling out. And I don't want to speculate on, on what it could have been. But, Jason, I'm not wrong. That game was screaming out early in the first half for for Michael Farfan. Uh, I mean, amongst others, yeah. Um, <laughs> screaming uh, out for are... lots of things and one right. of them it's one of those situations where the fact that you can't make many changes in soccer is actually one of the reasons why you might see someone just not make a single change and just and maybe just I, I did notice Olsen trying to coach the team up more than normal even in the first half, um, wandering to the very very edge, the far edge of his technical area to um, give instructions to DeLeon and Kemp um, within the first 15 minutes. Normally Olsen is seated during that stretch of the game or if he's standing, he stands right near midfield and, and doesn't really move around very much. Um, it's never a good sign when a coach feels compelled to um, need to, to have to give instructions to two players that early um, that aren't, you know, general, hey, watch out for this guy. He's taking up a different position than we thought. Um, where it's like you've got to, you know, I, I don't know what he was yelling. He was definitely yelling something. Um, I can only imagine it was uh, – you know, you you have to protect Kemp because Columbus is is attacking him with Finley and with Awful. Um, he needs all the help he can get. Um, whatever it was, it it either did not take or was not the correct instruction or both. It was probably just that it didn't take. Um, there's only so much you can do in that that scenario. Um, short of you know drop dropping someone off, adding Farfan, um, it would have certainly helped United keep more of the ball, which would have at least stemmed the tide even if it was just harmless possession in the back where nothing was going on, um, it would have taken the life out of the game a little bit. It would have helped United get themselves up off the ropes, uh, sort of like um, if you've ever seen a boxer uh, go for clinches over and over again, it at least gets you through the round and you get to sit on your stool and, and your trainer yells at you and you know tells you maybe to do something else. Um, it might have helped United to get staggering halftime still on their feet, Um but uh, there was there was so much going on in that game that I think a bigger issue was just the lack of attention to the team shape, and it, that should not happen to a team that plays with the same shape 
game in and game out. In a simple um, shape at that, not right. Um, no one's being surprised when United is when United's players are told this is the lineup. They aren't given surprises. It doesn't happen very much. Um, when we see a surprising lineup, it's like, oh, this guy started over that guy. It's not we changed from four four two to you know a three five two for this week. Surprise! It doesn't happen. Um, and to see things like uh, Rolf and Espindola trying to press up high to try and do something to disrupt Columbus, and then no one comes with them at all, you know, because when you drop deep like that and your forwards decide it's time to press, the rest of the team has to come with them. And everyone just sort of was like, no, no, we're staying here. And so Columbus played in like a 60-yard gap, um, which which is never good. And then all of a sudden it's flooded with Columbus players. And then the eight players that stay deep don't know what to do because they're all coming from different angles. And, you know, all hell breaks loose and you lose 5 nothing. So... Um, adding Farfan might have helped um, the possession, but uh, I mean, when when everyone else in the game was playing so poorly, I don't know that it really would have done all that much. Yeah, we'll have to get into the, the formational questions uh, a little bit deeper at a later time, you know, during the off season, which hopefully is not next week. Hopefully, <laughs> we... hopefully not four days away. Yeah, hopefully yeah. the off season is is. We, we oh, I'm keep sorry. it at bay sorry, a little while longer. As we record, because MLS has decided that the playoffs start as soon as possible. Yeah, so from Sunday to Wednesday, because that makes any kind of sense. Luckily, both teams are playing on that same kind of rest. So, Sunday to Wednesday for a team that had the Champions League uh, at both ends of the season. Thanks, MLS. Yeah, you know, MLS is nothing if not saying screw you to everybody at all opportunities. Well, not everybody. Everybody except LA, maybe Seattle. I mean, I know we sound, like, we sound like Bruce Arena by uh, complaining about the schedule, but I feel like the number of midweek games United has had, uh, maybe Montreal has equaled it, but that's it. But somehow uh, Montreal still had less games in September and October. Well, in September at least, not than United. No, but they in October they got hammered. Yeah, yeah. they had a bunch in the run-in. The MLS is weird. I don't understand why there are are weekends where not even international weekends where five teams have five weeks and three teams are playing twice that week. It it just makes no sense. Why not have some semblance of reason in your your scheduling? I don't get it. I don't. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about before we we take a quick break and welcome Jake onto the show to talk about the revs? The one thing that comes to mind for me is that United really, really struggled horribly with Jack McInerney, um, and this should have been a really good opportunity for United to, uh, you know, make make something out of the fact that he's an undersized goal poacher. He's not a target man. He's playing at the front of a formation that is designed to play with a target man, and United just consistently failed to put a body on him. They failed to make his life difficult at all, and his ability to... He wasn't even having to, like, settle and and play out. He was confident enough to play one touch because he knew no one was going to be near him every time he received the ball. And so he made several, you know, great-looking passes to set somebody up for a service into the box or to attack the box themselves, and it was always because he was just unmarked. Um, 
And it wasn't like Columbus was in – a lot of these weren't in moments where Columbus was moving the ball so quickly that no one had a chance to get to McInerney. It was just he, they lost track of him, and no one followed – no one was able to figure out what to do. And no one ever got the sense of, like, I'm just going to throw myself at Jack McInerney, and if I foul him, I do. At least it changes the tenor of the game. Um, you give away a free kick, so be it. Um, but you can't let him keep ghosting away and chest-trapping um, – through balls somehow for uh, people to, to create scoring chances on. You have to do something rather than just keep letting him repeat the same pattern. And lo and behold, there's McInerney playing with um, a guy that's played entirely as a, a holding midfielder, as his attacking midfielder. Um, and even after um, uh, Saeed went out of the game and uh, Kevon George came in, Tony Chani was playing as an attacking midfielder. That's not what he's good at. Um and so that should have been where United made them break down. And instead it was where Columbus was creating a lot of their, a lot of their danger came from the flanks, but the pass that was feeding the flanks came from McInerney and whoever was playing as the 10. And it was just not just frustrating, but also so out of character for a team with Bobby Boswell. I mean, Bobby Boswell's career is based in, in large part around an ability to make sure that target men can't receive the ball with their back to goal and do what they want to do. Um, or at the very least, they have to move down their, you know, their options list to something that's like Plan C or Plan D. And instead, McInerney got to do whatever he wanted the entire game, literally the entire portion of the game he was in. Um, and that's just that's brutal. Uh, yeah, brutal I don't know watch. if he if he's been watching tape of Chris Wondolowski, who who is a self-described Jedi master at, you know, basically saying I'm not the forward you're looking for to defenders yeah. and making them forget about him because McInerney was wide open on crosses too, not just, oh, yeah. not just hold up play. Oh, yeah. the, the one huge save Bill Hamid had early on to keep it, keep the game scoreless. Um, Which was a premonition of things to come because they scored right off of that corner, I believe, or soon thereafter at least. Yeah. They, yeah. It, it didn't last very long. No, it did but, not take long. But yeah. the ball, you, you, the ball went to the right side and, both Opare and, and Birnbaum went to cover runners at that near Bye post, well. and Sean Franklin also went all the way across to cover runners at the near post. McInerney just watches two of them run past him and fades yeah. back to the back post where nobody was defending him, and it was just bizarre. It's like the one guy you defend. Right. You, you, you have to find someone to defend. You don't just look for an area like the near post, especially if you're right. the back post fullback. Well, and, and, um, and, and that's it, where... It was just bizarre. And that's where Perry Kitchen... I mean, he did, a, he did a fine job. Either Perry Kitchen or Marcus Halstey needs to channel their inner Davey Arnaud and just toss Jack Mack to the ground at some point. Well, that's usually what Boswell does. So, yeah, someone, so does yeah, someone in that game needs to at least, like, do, do anything to change how the game is played. The game was played very peaceably, very calmly for the most part. Um, it looked like a preseason friendly for DC United. Um, Right, yeah, there, which there was no good. There just wasn't the meanness um, necessary for a team that isn't already going to be an attacking team. You at least need to be tough, um, and it just they they weren't. It just wasn't there. I don't know what happened in the week of or the yeah the week of training, the um, build up to the game. I don't. It just looked like the team was not plugged in. Um, they did have a few good minutes before halftime with the ball, but it's still. Whenever Columbus got the ball back in that stretch, they still looked just as naive defensively. Um, and Columbus, to their credit, really—I mean—they played a good game. Even if United had played well, it might not have gone 
it might not have been a result for United given the way Columbus played. They really stepped up to the fact that they were missing two key players. They made sure that that didn't become the story of the game as, oh, the crew can't do it without Kamara and Iguain. Instead, they said, you know what, we're good enough to do it without them. And in a way, it gave me heart because it means that someone in the Eastern Conference other than New York or um, the DDA Drogba's that call themselves the Montreal Impact um, has a chance to prevent the Red Bulls from winning any more trophies. Um you know, someone needs to do that job. It's not going to be us. Uh, I think that's clear. Um, hopefully Columbus can replicate that level of performance with better players coming back in. Um, so it's not just um, New York's march to MLS Cup because I don't want that. No one wants that. I think no, even Red I don't even think. Don't that. Yeah. <laughs> I think they should they be honest. Don't that. They don't know what to do with it. Yeah. They, they saw what happened to the Red Sox or to, to Boston fans after the Red Sox started winning World Series. Like, we don't want to be like that. Maybe we shouldn't win. Anyway, that's that's a very happy thought for us to to take a break on. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and yeah. Not, and you never ever use the term correctly. Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do. Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, They have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, Fine. So... Ehrlich Law Office, it's, a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. His, one of their, their attorneys, Ben, uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So, guys, for a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. You know, for, for better or worse, after that showing in Columbus, we get a quick turnaround to, to face the New England Revolution. I think most of us would argue that's probably for the worst, not getting the bye week. But here we are. Uh, the Reds come to RFK Wednesday night uh, at 7.30. That game will be on Unimas and CSN Mid-Atlantic Plus, the, the, you know, the version of it that's harder to find. There's a channel guide or Channel Finder, if you want to hop online and figure out whether and where that channel is on your cable system, or you can just go to RFK like I'm going to be doing. Anyway, to help us preview this game, we have a good friend of ours, Jake Katniss from Musket, is back on the show to help us preview the game. Jake, welcome back to Filibuster. Oh, thank you guys for having me. You know how this starts. I do. I, I am currently not drinking anything alcoholic because I had a bachelor party on Saturday night and I was at Yankee Stadium yesterday. So I've had a lot of beer in the last 72 hours and my liver needs a rest because Wednesday I'm not going to enjoy. I'll tell you what I'm not drinking and that is anything pumpkin flavored in the fall. That, I don't know who invented this. I hope it was Seattle so I can blame them for it. Anything pumpkin is just terrible. It should be banned. I think it's big in New England, but that's okay. I'm from Connecticut. Everyone hates me anyway. I have instead uh, a Mountain Dew Code Red off to the side here. All right. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that because both Pumpkin and Seattle, because 
I, I, I'm in the same boat where I'm not a fan of pumpkin flavored beer, especially. But last week, I decided to try a, a pumpkin porter by Red Hook out of Seattle, and it was actually okay. Is actually drinkable. Yeah, you know, there's there's nothing there's not wrong with them. I'm just like there's too many of them. I see it. I'm inundated with it. It's yeah. Probably my my problem is thing. that at my grocery yeah. store, half the beers are replaced by pumpkin beers. Yeah, that's sort of the issue. I'm like, it's not that I despise them. It's not that I don't drink them. It's I just it's it's one of those things. I don't need to see it all the time. If I want one, I'll drink it. Pretty much, I never want one, so I rarely ever drink it. No, this is a topic I'd be happy to go. Back and forth agreeing with you on, but I'm not sure our listeners would love that as much. So, no, they want they want more rambling about why DC United is just bad. I think uh, they've gotten that several they, times. Yeah, we okay. yeah we've we've covered that base pretty well. Uh, what we want to talk about is right now is the revolution. Um, like United this weekend, they didn't see a whole lot of the ball against NYCFC. Uh, unlike DC United, of course, the Revs won three to one rather than losing by zero to a lot. Um, is is New England are your Revs used to having that little of the ball? And what do they do to press the attack when when they're in the minority on possession? I'd like to think that New England, when they're playing their best, are a defensive first team, so they don't mind not having the ball. They want to be a team that gets out a little bit more on the break, uses their width, uses the speed in the middle. You know, get Lee Wynn involved, get Fagundes, get Rowe, Bunbury, Davies, Aguidel, whoever is in the attacking core up front. And, you know, yes, you have Jermaine Jones, who's in the midfield, and been a lot of back and forth in New England, not just on extending Jermaine Jones, which they probably should, but... You know, is Jermaine Jones, do we need him to be the deep-line playmaker, or would you really just need him to be more of a safe, you know, move the ball through the midfield? You're the outlet guy. You move the ball forward. Uh, it worked really well against New York City. Uh, the offense, for the first time really in, in a month, um, was clicking. Their shots were, you know, generating good close-range chances from a variety of different angles uh, and different players. And that's when I think the team is at their best. It's not that uh, New York dominated or pressed the attack any way or more or less than anyone else should in a soccer game. New York City created their chances, uh, probably should have scored at least one more goal. Um, Frank Lampard had one off the bar. Uh, Andrew Winger, of all people, had probably two of the best chances that didn't go in. So, it, you know, it still wasn't maybe the best revolution performance, but at least on the offensive side where they've had more problems the last couple of weeks, um, it was a much improved um, version of the Revs with Davies up front um, and Lee Wynn again, you know, getting open, you know, scoring two minutes in, really set the tone for that game. So the Revs of the last couple of years, I think pretty famously have been defined by the streak. One way or another, they have been a streaky team. Coming into uh, decision day, uh, they were on the snide. They hadn't won in a number of, of games, I think six games, just like DC United a few weeks ago. Um, of course, now they are on a one-game winning streak. Uh, how confident are you that, that that's actually the start of a run of good form for the Revs and, and not just a function of playing NYCFC? Um, I think it's a, it's a bit of a two-part issue. I think it was a four-game winless skid. Okay. Going back to, they had, they beat Toronto FC, and then on a short week, they beat 
Red Bulls at home. And that was a big thing. That got the Revolution into second place. So a month ago, the Revs were in second place, needing a win in the beginning of October to clinch a playoff berth. Well, one point in four games, and the Revolution, still yesterday, needed a win or a point to secure a playoff berth. So that was sort of a telling problem. It wasn't so much coming off those two big wins, losing at Montreal. You know what? That was kind of sort of fine. Losing to Chicago, bad. Um, tying 1-1 to Philadelphia at home uh, with Andre Blake making, I think it was 11 saves in that game. He was amazing. I mean, that's, you know what? All right, that stuff happens. Um, but I think it's nice, even in the last game, even against New York City, to go out and have a really good game from multiple different phases. The defense wasn't perfect, but did enough. Uh, Coldwell and Jones in the holding midfield, moving the ball well, picking out their spots. Um, Lee Wynn, you know, generating chances. Charlie Davies back in the starting lineup, doing really well on the hold-up version, um, hold-up play for the Revs, which is sort of a balance between do you want Juan Aguilera's overall ability or Charlie Davies holding the ball up up top, getting the other attackers involved. Um, it is nice to take that momentum into the playoffs. Because when you're looking at all the, the postseason um, seedings and all the pairings you could have had before the game, there was a very good chance that New England was going to play either Toronto or Columbus. So I think out of a lot of bad options, going to D.C. on a short week might have been, honestly, the best one with the Revs winning the game, getting the fifth seed. Um, because, honestly, you know, I don't think anyone – one a part of Montreal in these playoffs. And, uh, you know, a team like Columbus is just, you know, really good. In a one-off game, you know, that's a really hard place to go in and try and win. So, you know, it's maybe not the best situation for either the Revs or D.C., who, again, were up at the top of the East several months ago. Um, you, know, you don't have to remind us. We remember. I know. It's, it's, just, it's one of those things where, I'm like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, bad options. Both of these teams had much higher expectations at the beginning of the year. And now one of them's going home on Wednesday. So, you know, you have to sort of accept it that, you know, it's not the worst situation, but you like to have avoided this game entirely, you know, going into the season. You were expecting to be a top two team in the, in the conference. We were hoping to avoid this game as recently as Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> um, hopefully, you know, you guys react to, you know, respond to the big momentum-changing win the same way United did uh, in Columbus this week uh, when you when you come to visit. Jason. Uh, Jake, I guess my first question is the the fact that London Woodbury, really all right back all season, has been sort of a revolving door. Woodbury started against New York, got injured. Um, Kevin Alston came in. Jeremy Hall has maybe as many as eight or nine starts this season as well. Um, who are you looking to play there? Because when I watched the the Revs play NYCFC, that was the area that seemed to be more of a problem, not just because Thomas McNamara was there, but because New York just, I mean, it's not just McNamara, it's also Davi Beatrice out there, so the right back was, was occupied, was going to be occupied, but it, was pretty, it looked like that was where any of the danger was happening. Um, I think... I'd have to double-check when the article's going out tomorrow, but we have uh, the Ben Musket will be doing a lineup prediction. And I have Jeremy Hall starting for the simple fact that I don't think there's a wrong answer here, but for a one-off game, 
I want uh, more of a defense first option. I'm pretty much okay with whatever Jeremy Hall or London Woodbury can give me going forward. Kevin Alston's probably the best pure attacker of those three, but I really want a defensive option back there. I want someone in space who's comfortable, able to deal with pressure. Um, Nick DeLeon, I assume, is going to be on that side, uh, as well as, you know, Rolf and the Spindola up front. So I'd rather have a more defensive option, but honestly, I don't think there's a wrong answer. All three of those players, when healthy, are incredibly capable. Obviously, Woodbury, um, his crossing ability early in the season was a tremendous benefit for the Revolution. Um, Kevin Alston, when he can, you know, stay healthy for a long period of time, which recently has been an issue, battled back through leukemia, always seems to have a hamstring knock. Uh, and Jeremy Hall sort of was a surprise candidate. We didn't see him for a, a long time this season and then just started just making starts, just consistent, you know, defense first, you know, Games, nothing fancy, nothing special, goes out, does his job, contributes offensively, and that was really what the Reds needed. It's always going to be Tierney's going to be the focus of the fullback overlapping on the left wing, probably one of the best in MLS at doing that. So I'd rather have a more defensive option back there with Farrell and uh, Goncalves. But between the three of them, Hall, uh, Woodbury, and Alston, I don't think there's a wrong answer. They're all capable players. The other thing that I noticed in watching the game was just the the fact that New England seemed very effective pressuring the ball. They weren't pressuring recklessly. It wasn't a sporting Kansas City style um, press the goalkeeper up at the, the opposing end line. Um, it was just whenever they decided to press, there was always three or four people going for the ball, and New York was. I mean, granted, New York City is bad, but they seemed completely lost in that situation. They were not comfortable with it whatsoever. And that alarmed me a little bit. Um, is that something that New England is going to be as willing to deploy at RFK, or are they going to be a little more selective against a team that isn't so terrible like New York? Uh, I think that sort of goes back to where I think at, at when I said earlier that the Revolution at their heart are more a defense-first team. Um, they want to pressure, they want to create turnovers, they want to get out on the counter. So I think they might be a little more selective because I do think DC is going to not necessarily handle the pressure better, but I think they have a, a better system to do it in. I, I, you know, everyone says a 4-4-2. What's special about a 4-4-2? Nothing. That's the exact beauty of it. There's just two banks of four and two guys up top. It's very easy to sort of maneuver and be very fluid with your you know, passing motions and still hold a, a decent defensive shape. And New York City, I think oftentimes when you're watching them, when they do lose the ball, there's not enough guys, you know, getting back, whether it, you know, Pirlo or someone not tracking back. It always seems like there's space back there um, to operate in. And I think especially a team like D.C., who is absolutely, as far as I'm concerned, a more defensive-minded team, it's going to be harder to, to counterattack and break out in some of those spaces because – of their style of play and how they're going to end up uh, being, you know, attacking and defending from the 4-4-2. So I do think they're, they are going to press at times, but I also think it won't be anything that should surprise DC either. I think it's just going to be a lot of, you know, very standard, you know, try to win your one-on-one -on -one battles and, and limit the mistakes in the back, that which has sort of been a problem the Revolution have dealt with on and off, either miscommunications with the center backs fullbacks getting the little things, you know, when they build up in a sequence, you usually lead to a goal where other teams can recover a little bit better. So 
it really, I think, depends on, on some of the situations, but I do think uh, DC will be able to handle the pressure a little bit better. It's just a matter of if they do absorb the pressure, can DC break down a revolution team that has been suspect at times defensively? I guess that, that kind of brings to mind my last question, which is um, with the fact that DC is known for being defense uh, de- a defense-first team, um, do you think that someone like Teal Bunbury maintains his spot, or do, or does Jay Heaps go with someone like Diego Fagundes is more of a scheme breaker and less of a just an athlete? I actually would love to see a Bunbury Fagundes partnership on the wings. I think in this situation, as much as we, Kellen Rose in good form, Juan Aguilar is a very good player, and Fagundes might be a better option off the bench late in the game to break that formation, as you say. I would like to see that from the start, actually, both of those players, where you have more of a target player in Bunbury and then just a straight playmaker on the other side to sort of give DC two completely different things to defend. And if the Revolution decide, as Heaps often does, to start inverting the wingers and moving guys around, now we're just creating mismatches on the back line and just seeing what works. Uh, So I would like to see that from the start. I think at some point Fugundes will feature in this game uh, even if it's off the bench, uh, he's been in good form this year, not just offensively, but one of the things, the big knock for him last year when he lost his starting spot was he was not tracking back defensively. And this year he's been so much better on the defensive side of the ball that I would be more than comfortable seeing him start, um, even in a one-off game like this. Um, you'll probably see Kevin Rowe, who's more of a two-way player, drifts a little more inside. Tierney comes on the left and overlaps, but... Um, I think Teal Bunbury was sorely missed against Montreal two weeks ago. He was serving a yellow card suspension for accumulation, um, and that was a game that was not good, in, I think, by either team, Montreal or New England. It was a 1-0 win for the impact. A really nice goal from, from Piatti, Ignacio Piatti, a solo effort was the difference. Um, but the revolution looked all out of sorts that game, and I really think it was because Bunbury wasn't there. Um, so I, I would I would like to see Bunbury and Fagunes, but it's sort of like the question at right back, with the, rev, the options the Revolution have at those spots, I don't think there's a wrong answer. It's just sort of finding what works for Jay Heaps, either in the build-up to the game or a uh, tactical move he has to make uh, with substitutions. All right, Jake, I'm going to ask you to put yourself in our shoes, or, or at least Ben Olsen's shoes, for a minute. <laughs> Say you have to game plan against Jay Heaps and this Revs team for a one-off knockout game, hypothetically this Wednesday night. How are you coming at it? How are you game planning against the Revs? Um, if I'm if I'm trying to do something that I'm I would not normally see in any way, I would almost ask, uh, how good is Perry Kitchen on his one-on-one marking? Because I would almost want to have him shadow Lee Wynn, or does that sound crazy? You would you would just man mark him for the whole I would game. Just, I would just man mark Lee Wynn with Perry Kitchen, and maybe if I'm DC, play a little bit more of a diamond. Whoever I don't know who his partner is in in the central midfield. If right now possible. it's been Marcus Halstead, but I think mm, so that'd be uh, more, after, that'd be more after last uh, week it would be uh, we we could see a change there. Okay, so so we're still so there's a little issue there. I would depending on that would not be something I would rule out is just attempting to eliminate Lee Wynn, force the revolution to use the flanks. Even if that opens up space for Tierney and Bunbury to cross in balls to the box, revolution are not necessarily the best at that. Yes, Tierney has amazing service. 
one of the best left backs in the league this year, probably in the last few years. Bunbury is a menace no matter what he does, offense or defensively, but I would want to take away Lee Wynn, not necessarily at all costs. If it ends up, you know, breaking DC, trying to move the ball because Kitchen isn't there as one of the center midfielders, that's a different story. But I, I wouldn't rule out something perhaps that drastic if you're specifically trying to game plan against the Revs, make them out, take them out of their comfort zone, make Lee Wynn find the ball, get him away from some of the dangerous spots in the center of the field, make him work with other combination players, make Jones try and beat you up the field, uh, make Scotty Caldwell get runs up the field late, um, you know, take the Revs sort of out of their comfort zone in the middle of the field. So basically like a, an old-school basketball box and one. Yes, and I I will admit I love that formation because I used to be the the one guy who would run around like a crazy person just following the ball. So (laughs) I think that's something in soccer you don't normally see that anymore. Like, hey, I'm going to take away that guy. I'm going to make that guy not be involved at all. Um, My dad has another theory about this in basketball. I don't care if Larry Bird gets 50. I just want to make sure the other guys around him get nothing. This is sort of the opposite in soccer. I'm going to make sure... The other 10 guys beat me and not the other team's best player. And I don't think you see that a lot anymore in soccer. It's always sort of a, you know, a team versus team, um, matchups. You know, can this team break down that defense and vice versa rather than you don't really see teams game plan like this anymore. Right. That there's been a much more, we're, we're in a period where the system is king. Uh, yeah. I think. So for for better or worse, it would be it'd be interesting to see something like that. I don't know that Ben Olsen's going to run that out, but thank you for at least giving him the idea. Assuming someone listens to this and passes it on to him. Uh, Jake, thanks for coming on the show. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Uh, you can find us uh, at the Bent Musket uh, on uh, SB Nation. Um, we've actually surprisingly had a lot of uh, NWSL content for the Breakers um, the past couple days. Uh, new expansion team down in Orlando, a lot of player movement, uh, trades, expansion drafts, and things like that. So uh, Stephanie Yang does a great job with that. Um, I'm on Twitter for no reason, um, at jcatanist43. Um, you should not follow me at all. Um, that's a terrible decision. Um, Reverse yeah, psychology, it always works with our listeners. Yeah, it's, it's no, I mean, I'm, I'm actually being serious. I don't know why anyone actually follows me on Twitter. It seems it, I don't actually like social media. It's not, it's, I'm like a thousand years old. I despise this stuff, but, um, thank you guys for having me. Uh, I can't wish you luck on, on Wednesday night, but I, I will enjoy the coverage, uh, from our two sites the next couple of days. And, uh, you have to love the MLS playoffs. I don't necessarily love the new six team format. It allowed Toronto FC to get into the playoffs, so we can't make fun of them anymore. That's true. Sadly. Um, but remember, they finished six, and without the new 16, they would still be playoff list in their history, and I think that's important to remind them. When they changed it to six, I just said, without looking at their... Before they did anything, I said, they're going to finish seventh, and that's that. <laughs> what? Well, I mean, that was right. We all They almost that. did. They almost did. <laughs> they did their damnedest. Um, they tried. They they really tried, and, and uh, I... Uh, Can someone I make guess- sure Jovinko gets the memo next year? I, you know Toronto what? Here's the thing. Playoffs, man. What are you doing? I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing that one of the greatest MLS regular seasons in history 
is going to come from a sixth place team. I don't know how Toronto managed to do that. That actually is quite an accomplishment. Thank you, I'm, Toronto. I'm glad they didn't finish seventh, though, because that would have allowed Orlando City into the playoffs, and that is unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> that might be worse. I mean, then, then if that had happened, Dero would not be the only player in MLS history to win the MVP on a non-playoff team, non-playoff because it would still be Jovinko's award. Let's be honest. This is true. And it, and it should be. I mean, honestly, it should Absolutely. be. Absolutely. Um, his season, you know, we can all say, you know, Kai Kamara was an amazing signing for Columbus. They desperately needed a striker of his caliber. Um, that's a very good team, and they deserve second place. Montreal, somehow Didier Drogba is going to drag them into third place, and, and honestly, probably to the conference finals. Um, I'm actually, the way the bracket plays out, I think we should both be very happy that there's a pretty good chance the winner of this game plays the New York Red Bulls. As as odd as that sounds, I don't think anyone wants any part of Montreal right now. And I, I would don't be know. In New, York has, New York has kicked our asses every single game. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, they match know, up well with us right now. It's I would rather really play Montreal at this point and just, you know, hope that Didier Drogba gets food poisoning. I want another wow. shot at Columbus. I do. I really I, hope you know we end up against I, Columbus. We, I love playing against Columbus. It's sort of, to me, it's like that mirror matchup where it's like the same formation, similar styles, similar players, and a lot of, you know, underrated younger players on both teams. And the playoff series we had with them last year was, um, a lot of fun, not just because the Revolution won, there was a lot of goals in that series, but just, it's something for me where, you know, it's so nice to see younger non-DP guys get a lot of credit. And you look at, you know, New York's roster where it's, you know, Question, McCarty, Fleet, all these guys are just like, there's no way these guys should be good. And they've got two shields in three years with basically don't, the don't same remind guys. Us. I'm not trying to, but I'm like, you have these cores of players that are doing so well and they're just, they're young and they're going to be around for a long time. And, um, I like to see it as, you know, we all love, you know, the DPs and things, but it, you know, that's one guy out of, you know, you're talking to DC guys. We, we, we don't have a lot of DPs down here. <laughs> you, well, I was going to say, I mean, Eddie Johnson's not technically on the pay. Well, he is on the payroll, but he's not on the salary cap. He's he is we, a mystery. No one, yeah, nobody knows, knows what his status is. Right yeah, now, yeah, right, right now, our designated player is Fabian Spindola. That's not bad. It's not a Jermaine he's only Jones. Just barely. Dempsey. He's he's the classic DC DP who was promoted to DP after a good season. Oh, right. Okay, so you yeah, we do that. that. For so many years as well, which was Shalry Joseph and Jerry Bengston. Ooh. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I still think oh. the Reds should have just given him a Honduras jersey to wear under his Revolution jersey. Um, and you're he not, you're been, not the only one. Yeah, he would have been immediately, maybe not great, but like Will Bruin level, and that would have been fine. <laughs> I, you know, I, I never dislike Jerry Bengston. Like, you're a striker, you have to score goals. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, there's just certain players, they go to different teams and then they just succeed. And, and I, I always thought, like, we're going to trade Jerry Bengston. He's going to go to, you know, a random team like San Jose or somewhere and he's going to do just fine. Um, you still hear a lot of people in New England will gripe openly that, um, Benny Flowers Failhaber, uh, went to Kansas City and he's just absolutely amazing. There's like, why couldn't he do that here? What was missing? I'm like, well, Jermaine Jones was missing for one um, in the midfield. But you're like, you know, that would have been, God, what a midfield triangle that would have been. But, yeah, we had Scott Caldwell, and I really like him. So uh, we'll see. I, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to Wednesday. 
you know, again, it's sort of, you know, the best of a lot of not very good options. You have to play midweek. If you win, you get to host a home game in the semifinals and against a, you know, fully rested team. It's a lot of bad options. We have to sort of take the best one. And right now, playing at DC in the form that they're in right now defensively, I, I can't complain that much. And that's where we let you go. Thanks for coming on, Jake. Thanks, guys, very much. All right, guys, find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter, at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website, plus all our personal accounts, which should not be difficult for you to find. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we accept love letters, we accept hate mail, and we accept advertising inquiries. Find us on iTunes, find us on Stitcher. We are on SoundCloud. Mostly, though, tell a friend about us, whether it's at the stadium Wednesday night or at the bar after the game for win or lose, uh, or, you know, just at work, wherever. Tell a friend about us, because uh, that's how most people find out. We will talk to you real soon, hopefully uh, with, with better news than we came into this show with. For Jason and Adam, and thank you again, Jake, who's giving me a thumbs down. Uh, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, David. One bourbon, one sky, one beer. I'll let you hear Mr. Watch, you know. Come here.